Well, good morning, church. I'm, I'm so used to Saturdays, I gotta say, like, we, we made up a word called pre-evening, because it's at four o'clock, so we're like, pre-evening, good morning, or good pre-evening, everybody, because we kept saying good morning every Saturday. Um, but uh, Pastor Jody has the flu today, so I found out about eight o'clock last night that I'm going to be here with y'all today, so uh, be praying for me, because I got I to gotta speak pretty soon. Um, and... Uh, and we're excited because we're going to be starting this new sermon series, uh, 2020 Vision, and we're going to be looking at Jesus' ministry. What does he really care about, and how do we align to, how, what, to what he really cares about? I guess you agree with me, that's pretty important, right? We should probably care about what Jesus cared about. And I love how almost every church that I see in the valley now is talking about 2020 Vision. It's just kind of that great year to talk about vision, apparently. And, and looking at the future and what God has planned for us. And, and so every church in the valley right now that I know of is looking at how this year is going to be devoted to the Lord. And again, I, I love what we're doing with the devotionals and, and getting to the Bible every day. Are you guys enjoying that? Are you getting something out of that every day? Yeah. I'm, I'm just eating it up. It seems like, you know, I've, I've read the Bible over and over again. And, and every time I go through the chapters, it's just like, oh, there's always something new. That pops out. There's always something exciting, something amazing, some new connection, especially as we're reading kind of this combination of the Old and New Testaments, and you're seeing all of these Old Testament themes that are being fulfilled in New Testament. It's just, I get real geeky and nerdy about it. Um, I love it. So I'm excited to, to be walking with everybody through that. But in this series, we're going to be looking at Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61. It's a, a phenomenal prophecy that Jesus fulfills. In the equivalent to what would be a New Testament mic drop, uh, Jesus is speaking to the synagogue. He's reading the Isaiah scroll in Luke 4. He reads this particular passage, and he reads about only about four verses in, rolls it up, and says, this has been fulfilled. And what would be, what, again, a, a New Testament version of a mic drop, a it is finished type of moment, which, again, mixed reactions. You have amazement, and then later they want to go throw them off a cliff which if you've been in ministry long, that's usually the pattern. You get amazed, and then people want to throw you off a cliff. Um, and, and so what we're going to see is what Jesus really cared about and what really made him the Messiah, because what he says in this passage, he fulfilled. And as we are being conformed to his image, as we are people who are aligning to the heart of God, we are actually walking in these footsteps. We are walking in these footsteps. And, and how many of you have ever looked at somebody maybe older than you and, and thought, boy, I, I want to walk in their footsteps. You guys all have somebody that comes to mind and you're thinking, boy, that person was just bigger than life. You know, for me, that was my big brother. My big brother was good looking. I remember all the girls liking him. I remember uh, he was the athlete. The reason I got into track and field and the reason I, I pushed into, into sports was because of him. He was the smartest guy I know. Probably is still the smartest guy I know. I don't tell him that but I still talk to him all the time about things or questions I have. He's been in ministry much longer than I have. And, and so for me, following his footsteps was all I wanted to do when I was a kid. When I was a kid, I just was like, I, Kyle did it, so I'm going to do it. And it really drove a lot of my childhood and my development. And in the same way, we look at Jesus saying, how do we follow in his footsteps? And he promises us in, in John 5, some of the hardships that are going to come following in his footsteps, doesn't he? 
We, we look at how the servant is not greater than the master. And so the things that he endured, the things that he went through, we are also going to have to endure and go through. And in fact, we look at those as a blessing, don't we? I know it doesn't feel that way, but we look at those and go, wow, like I am being treated and going through the same thing Jesus was treated, was treated and this is amazing. That's a hard place to get to, but when you look at it that way, the, the hardships of life and the things that happen because of our pursuit of Christ and following his footsteps actually become a, a huge blessing. But today we're going to look at what it means to proclaim good news to the poor. And how do we follow in the footsteps of proclaiming good news to the poor? Let me read you Isaiah 61. And we're only going to look at the, the first few verses here. I'm basically going to sit and camp in verse 1, but I thought it would be good just to read everything we're going to be looking at through the series just to give you some good context. Isaiah 61, verse 1 says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we want to stand on your word right now. Lord, we want to be able to look and see and align our hearts to yours. Show us what it means to bring good news to the poor. Speak to us in a way that we're going to understand how we apply that into our lives today. How do we, right now in 2020, proclaim the good news to the poor? Show us how we can align to that. Show us how we can align to your heart, your desires, your will, so this year can be a year of divine favor. Lord, that you will look upon us as people who are of your own heart. Because that's what we desire. Lord, we want to be more like you. We want to follow in your footsteps. We want to endure and persevere the things that you had to endure and persevere because it is a blessing. Lord, you are everything to us. You are the motivation. You are the drive. You are the teacher, the rebuker. Lord, we just want everything that we talk about right now to be of worship to you, to be dedicated to you, to glorify you, so that we can walk in your footsteps today. So in your mighty name, amen. Okay. So what does it mean that the Messiah was called to proclaim good news to the poor? It doesn't mean, let me talk about first what that doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that the good news is only for those who have a certain amount of money in their checking account, okay? I think a lot of times you can read that and say, well, because of the poor, therefore the financially poor, therefore they are more blessed than the rich, right? And that's, that's not exactly what we're talking about in this passage. The poor, another word you could use there is the needy, the desperate, the ones who are are seeking a miracle. 
How many of you have ever been in a position where you're just like, there's no way out. I have to have a miracle, right? The poor are the needy, are the ones who are looking to things that are going to save them. They are hungry. They are hungry for what is going to rescue them from the current situation that they're in. And they're oppressed. They're oppressed by what the circumstances are around them. And so what Jesus is talking about here, when he's coming to proclaim the good news, there's, a, there's an important component to receiving the good news, is that the people who receive the good news are the ones who understand their desperation for the good news. The poor are the ones who are looking for a way out. You look at Jesus' ministry. He was drawn to the sinner class. And in Jesus' day, the, the sinner was a class of people. The righteous were another class of people. That's why you hear Jesus say things like, I didn't come for the righteous. I came for the sinner. Right? When I was a kid, I used to hear that and I go, boy, I'm, I'm probably real favorable with the Lord because I mess up a lot. Right? Like, I remember thinking like, that's great. Because <laughs> I didn't understand what that meant. But then when I go deeper into, this, into the word, I understand, boy, these tax collectors, these prostitutes, these lepers, the people who are on the outside and fringes of society, the people who, who God looked, or the, the people who the society looked at and said, oh, those are sinners, we can't affiliate with them. And they knew who they were. You don't see anybody, you don't see any tax collector going, oh, I, I know that when, I, when the government asks for five and I take 20, that it's a good thing. They knew what they were doing was evil. And they knew that they were hated because of it. There was no mystery there. But guess what? There was something deep inside of them that said, I am desperate to be in good standing. Same with the prostitutes. They were usually the ones who were either widowed, ostracized by their families. They had no other means for, for, for providence. They had no other way in society to, to live and survive. And you hear the good news comes to them and they are drawn to it because they go, here is a miracle and a dependency and a way out. Here is actually good news for me to grab a hold of and not bad news that's going to ostracize and kick me out. And, and we were doing our devotionals. This, you, you know, we talked about Genesis 3 and we read Genesis 3 and something that really stood out to me, something that really stood out to me is how God's heart aligns to the, de the need, the poorness, of the desperation of the sinner. You look at Genesis 3, and Adam and Eve, and they, they, they eat of the forbidden fruit, and they go and hide, right? The shame and the guilt is too much, so they try to hide from God. And, and I think there's a, there's a wrong conception of God in these times where we think he's this, this mean guy who's going to go and just say, get out of my face, you nasty little sinner. I don't want anything to do with you. But that's not his reaction, is it? What does he say? He goes, where are you? Where are you? Because he knows that he is the only revive, or re the only restorer and reviver of what was broken. The relationship that we cut, he wants. He goes, where are you? And he says, oh, because of the sin, you're going to have all these consequences. 
Because you wanted to be like God, now you're going to have to endure and suffer the consequences of those decisions. It's not something he wanted to bestow upon us. He says, ah, because of that, this is going to happen. How many of you guys know sin has consequences, right? But this is what he then does. In Genesis 3.15, my, one of my favorite passages, he promises the gift of a savior. He promises that there will be a seed of Eve who will stomp out the serpent at the same time the serpent will strike the hill. Boy, it's amazing to me that just a few passages down, when our biggest blunder of all time has just occurred, when we decided that we're going to do it our way, God, not yours, God says, I have a plan in place that's going to bring you back where you don't no longer have to say, or I no longer have to say, where are you? But I can say, here I am. And then later we see him, he, he, unfortunately we get kicked out of the garden, that's a bummer, because the tree of life's there, he doesn't want us to live forever yet. And so then he, he, what he does is he then provides for us a, the clothing that we have. And that's a great shadowing of the clothing of righteousness that we get to see in Jesus Christ because of our neediness, because of our desperation, because of how poor in spirit we really are. And that's the thing. is, It's not something that you can just be like, God, make me more poor in spirit. God, we, we, we want to be realized of our poor in spirit, right? The reality is, is we're all poor in spirit, right? The ones who are blessed are the ones who understand their desperation for it. Because guess what? The world is going to try to fill that little tiny hole a lot in your life. The world's going to give a lot of temporary fixes for that desperation and that neediness and that poor of heart. But God says, I am the only one who can fill and restore that hole. So in that way, all of humanity sits in this place of being poor, sits in this place of desperation. It's the ones who realize their desperation, realize their neediness, realize how poor they really are, the ones who actually hear the good news. The ones who get it and go, what? That is good news. Because how many times have you shared a message like the good news of somebody and they go, oh, that's cool, great, get out of my face, right? <laughs> get out, okay, go away, Christian, right? They don't understand the condition that has happened, the neediness, the desperation, the poor of spirit. Can I tell you guys a cool story this week, of what happened this week? So this is one of my favorite things about being able to come and teach every weekend is that I get to share all the cool stuff that God did the week before. And he's always doing stuff, which is, gives me a lot of material every week. Um, but we do these, these Thursday night Bible studies in Provo, and, and it's really becoming something of, of, a, of a landmark time for me every week because I get to see God move so powerfully every Thursday. I just like, it's on my calendar. I'm like, this is, this is going to be, like, you kind of walk in like, what's going to happen today? This is going to be crazy. And we had a, a lady who'd been coming for a few weeks. She uh, grew up in the uh, <clears throat> dominant religion of the area and was really struggling, not with that, not with like what her belief system, but more in the fact that her husband had abandoned her. She has seven children. Um, he had fallen into to heroin and, and drug addiction. And so she came because she knew the host of the Bible study when we meet at her house, and she just didn't know where else to go. 
She knew that there were people who explore the Word of God here, that we explore the Bible and we talk about it. And, and so we prayed for her and we shared the good news with her and we told her all the great things that God had in store and, and what his plan for, for humanity was. And, and, and she just ate it up. She's like, this is amazing. I remember reading Romans 8.1 with her and she just was like, no condemnation no accusations against me because of Christ Jesus. The law of sin and death is gone. And she, she just lit up, right? And, and we, we prayed for her husband. We prayed, we prayed, we prayed for weeks and weeks and weeks for her husband. And this last Thursday, I walk in and I'm carrying like this soup and I, I'm with one of the ladies who comes with us. And I see him sitting there at the table. And... I, I'm, I'm amazed by this. I was like, wow. And then she's kind of looking at me like, mm-hmm, you know? <laughs> and, and I think we're all kind of like, wow, wow, this is really great. Like, not in a million years did we ever think this was going to happen. And, and so, it, but, you know, he, he, he looks pretty beat up. He looks pretty beat up. And uh, we go and we sit down, and, and I'm thinking, and this was the day we covered Genesis 3 in the devotion, so I was going to cover Genesis 3, and I was like, great. Like, here we go. This guy's going to feel like I'm just like, you dirty, stinky sinner, get out, you know? I'm like, what a time to have to cover Genesis 3. And so I get in my own head a little bit, but I sit down, and we talk about it, and I, just, I share with him what I just shared with you guys around how God reacts to sins, how he reacts to um, the sin of the fall and the things that he has in place to bring salvation to all of man. And, and he's sitting there, and, and you could just see him, his just the light bulbs are clicking, right? I mean, I don't think this guy's had a light bulb click like this for a long time. And we start to discuss some other things about life and go into things, and, and, and we get to end up praying for this guy. We get to end up praying for this guy, and, and I kid you not, there is, a, there is a physical transformation that happened before our very eyes. Yes. You could see it. You could see it. It was like this, this pale, sickly person. Yes. I didn't get to say I had my eyes closed because I pray, right? I have my eyes closed. <laughs> but I opened them up, and it was literally like, like the flesh of his skin became like peach. Like, and he said, he's like, Boy, I, I can't explain it. It was like a thousand-pound boulder was just lifted off my chest. And I, again, I was just... Like, whoa. Like, you kind of, at first, you kind of think, oh, it worked, right? You're like, whoa. But I, I'm always kind of surprised. I'm like, ah, oh, God answered. Um, but it, it was that desperation that he had. It was the fact that I'm at the end of the line here. I need Jesus. I need the God that you had just spoken of in my life. And that is the poor in spirit. That's what it means that Christ came to proclaim the good news. Because it's those who are receiving it are the ones who are going, I have nothing else. That's why God sometimes has to take us to the very end of the rope before, God can, before we can actually hear what he means. And every single week I get to spend in the, in the Word, and, and every time I get to see the good news lived out, every time I get to see God change people's lives, it just adds that deeper level to the complexity 
and the beauty of what the good news actually did for humanity. Because on the surface level, when you first hear it, you think, boy, that was a, you know, it's so simple. That can't be that simple. And, but the, the deeper you realize is like, wait, wait, wait. God became flesh because he loved me so much for the purpose of dying for me to take every single sin I've ever thought of, I've ever did, I've ever thought about doing, and he died because of it. No greater love is there for those who die for their friends. The verse he says becomes so alive to me. The more I understand the, the complexity of that, that God was so loving and is so motivated for the relationship to restore us that he's like, I'm going to die for them because they are so desperate, so needy, so poor in spirit that I'm the only answer for them. It, it still to this day blows my mind of what, that our God would do something like that. Our sovereign Lord who we, when we play in his backyard, right, like he controls it, right? It's his rules, his reality he created. And we just, we mess him up. And he comes and says, you know, I'm going to die for you. But I'm going to prove that there's hope because he didn't just come and die for us. There's a lot of false messiahs that came and died. He says, no, 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 I'm going to rise and so you have something of hope to look forward to. That I will be the first one raised because I have many brothers and sisters whom you raised after me. And that's the hope. That's what the desperate and the needy and the poor in spirit are longing for is this rebirth, this new arising power that is going to come into us and empower us to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. Because guess what? The salvation that we get from God is not the end of the road. We get to then live out a reborn life of proclaiming the good news to the people we still are and who need it the most. Because I know in my life, I, you know, and when I become saved, and I, th- I have kind of this weird entitlement at times where it's like, oh, those poor little sinners. Oh, I wish you had what I had, right? Oh, that's, and I'm like, that's not the way to, that's not, I'm still poor. I'm still as desperate and needy as, as, but I'm now I'm empowered and I have this, this reassurance and I have this hope that they don't have. So we look at the, we look at the lost and we look at them and, and this is how our perspective is a little different than Jesus because Jesus wasn't, he didn't have the sinful, poor spirit, but he had the burden that we had. But we have the, the, the sickness, and we go, ah, I hate it. I hate what this is. I hate it, but, and you see it in your friends and your family who aren't believers, and you go, ah, I, I want you to hate it too. I want you to hate it because I want you to be a slave to the righteousness that we have. And so we share it. And I love that, this is so great. I love that we're in the sharing business, not the saving business. 
I love that all I have to do is just share this beautiful message with people who are lost. And then God saves them. God saves them. It's not on me to save people. I think I used to think that way a little bit. I think when I went into Utah County, it was like, my job is to save everybody. (laughs) And I got my butt kicked. (laughs) But when I look at it, I go, oh, if I can just share as much as I can with who I can, when I can, God's going to do amazing things. And that's exactly what he's done. Because guess what? Sometimes all people, all the desperate, all the poor, all the needy need to hear. Sometimes. doesn't end here. You go as far as you can. But sometimes all you have to say is, ah, did you know God loves you? Did you know that there is a God out there, a being who loves you so much that he would die for you? Sometimes just that little itsy-bitsy tic-tac seed is enough to go get someone to think about who that God is. Because there's a lot of misconceptions about who God is. And when they find out he's loving, boy, that, that's a game changer in someone's life. Because that opens the door to a lot more, tell me more about why God loves me. That's my favorite question. I love, I'm like, I'm so like, oh, that's Holy Spirit. Okay, let's do this. When someone says, tell me why God loves me. How could God love me? Because guess what? That is a soul that is poor, desperate, understanding of I need to be loved because this world doesn't love me. And that's what's so exciting about being deep into the trenches with sinners is you understand the desperation and the neediness of humanity. That's why Jesus was drawn to those people. That's why we should be drawn to those people. That's why we walk in the footsteps of Jesus because he did those things. His heart, he cared about those things. He wanted to reach the lost. And and if you follow me on social media, I, I quoted this a few days ago, but I read it and I was like, oh, this is so good. Basically, it says, I would rather be known to fervently pursue the lost and do anything possible to reach the lost than to have dead orthodoxy. Than to have dead orthodoxy. And that really stood out because, yeah, like we can sit around and talk about how right we are all the time. But if we're not out sharing this message to the poor, what does it matter? And doing things that are different. I, I mean, if you like to do things differently. I like to think outside the box, how to reach people in ways that have never been reached. Cool, one of you. All right. Yeah. But boy, I, I, I'm always thinking, how can we do things that are different? How do, we, how do we break the mold? How do we do things that are going to get in front of the sinners in a more abundant way so that we can share this message? Because that's the way we should be thinking in 2020, because that's what Jesus did, didn't he? He didn't do things the same way as the people before him did it. He couldn't. He would go on walks, and he would talk with people. He would start preaching in the streets, 
he did what was needed to reach the lost. And that's my prayer for us as a church, is that we will do what is needed to reach the lost. That we will be drawn to the, the desperate and the needy because we see ourselves in those people. We see our past. We see the people we're struggling. We, we see our current struggles. We see all of that. And we go, ah, I want you to have this Jesus. I want you to have the hope of being born again. I want you to have the hope of looking forward to eternal life. Because, boy, the, the poor, especially in Jesus' day, but we live like kings compared to them. We live like kings compared to what the people of Jesus' day went through. And you think, boy, like Jesus was drawn to the darkest places in humanity because he is a great light. And that light has come and made its home inside of us. Did you know you carry the light of God in your heart? That in your body is the temple of the, the dwelling place of the living God? That where you go, the light goes? That where you go, life goes? So where you're going, are you bringing life? Where you're going, are you bringing light? Are you exposing the darkness and replacing it with a great light, the light of God? And this isn't a a go work harder message. Don't walk away with going, I gotta go do more, okay? That is not what I'm advocating here for, okay? I'm advocating for just being the people God has made you to be. Be the people that God died for and rose again to have the hope to be. Because that's where we're gonna see the magnificence of God change lives. That's where we're going to get to a point where it's not even shocking when we see miracles happen. I'm like so excited when I see so many. I'm like, oh yeah, man. guy got changed. Yeah, whatever. Happened all the time. Oh, that guy got healed. Yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, what'd you expect? Right? Like, I, I, I can't wait to be that place where it's not like, whoa, it worked. Right? But here is a, a fantastic promise. And, you know, going through Isaiah 61 and 61.1, we're proclaiming the good news to the poor. And Jesus rolls up the scroll after verse 4. But then it, later down in the passage, it goes from a first person to a third person. He uses the word they. And it's talking about the unknown faces, the people who are going to be the footsteps of the Messiah. It's talking about us. This is the stuff we're going to get to do. Can I read it for you? They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will restore and rebuild the ancient ruins. How many of you know that there's places in people's lives, there's places in this valley that the enemy has held for far too long? We are empowered to go and restore those places, to rebuild the ancient ruins. I love that. For generations, they have been devastated. That really stuck with me. For generations, they have been devastated. And many of you are, are working out of generations of devastation. And God has brought you out of the devastation, not to just be out, but to go back and restore and rebuild and reclaim 
the damage that has done to the generations. And then it talks about strangers will shepherd your flocks, foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. And at first I read that, I was like, that doesn't sound like a very good thing. But when I looked at it, what it's talking about is unity among outside of Israel. So it's saying Israel and all these dirty Gentiles are going to come together and they're going to work in the fields together. They're going to work in, the sh- in shepherding the flocks together. So there's unity. How many of you know that unified Spirit is so in the will of God. Yes. We have seen more miracles happen in Utah County because the church has decided let's work together instead of apart. Right. Amen? Yes. So they will come together with a unified front. And you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God we will be able to do the things God has called us to do. We will be able to, to do the things that, are, that were once separated by the priests that now we all get to do. Isn't that, and that is to proclaim the good news to the poor. That's right. You will feed on the wealth of nations and their riches you will boast. We will have divine favor. We will have the backing of the one and mighty God. Who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? What fear has a place when we understand that the living God working in us is with us when we go into the dark places? And I get it, it's scary. I would be lying if there wasn't a hesitation and a fear of walking in to dark places and having to share the good news. Walking in and sitting at a table with three or four drug addicts is, is a daunting and scary thing to do from time to time. Because I get in my own head, for one. The insecurities, everything that can happen, right? All the fleshly things that occur. But then there's that passage. If God is for us, who can be against us? And I have the, the medicine for what is going to help that person. And divine favor will be on us. And this whole passage, Isaiah 61, is about the favor of the Lord. It rested and it came upon Jesus. And then when he finished his work, he, it died. He rose on the third day. He ascended at the right hand of God. He didn't abandon us. He sent the Holy Spirit to be our advocate, to be our helper. He showered us with with spiritual gifts to be able to use them in the body of Christ and to the unbeliever. You are a powerful weapon with with the tools of heaven. Did you know that? And you have the favor of the Lord resting upon you. That's good news, right? Let's stand. I'm ending a little bit early. That's good news too, huh? <laughs> Just kidding. But I want to I give a chance to respond. Just because it's so important that we respond to something like this. One for the unbeliever, the one who has never had the opportunity 
to repent and believe. And what I mean repent, I mean just turn from sin, understand your condition, understand that, yeah, I do need Jesus. I am desperate. I am needy. How do I get that? Well, I'm glad you asked. You believe. You believe in Jesus Christ. That what he did on the cross restored you. It it forgave you. And it was by his grace and his mercy that it did so. That he took everything you've ever done, everything you've ever thought that was sinful, and he became forsaken over you. That Jesus was so in agony on the cross, not because of all of the pain, but he was forsaken because God couldn't look at him anymore. That was because of us. That God turned his head so Jesus could die as a sinner, even though he had never committed a single sin. That was you and I. We did that. But he didn't stay dead. He rose on the third day so that those who followed in his footsteps could have hope of eternal life. That we too would raise again. That one day heaven and earth will come together as a new heaven and new earth. And we will be forever with God again. That God no longer has to ask, where are you? That he knows we're with him. We are one again. We are restored because of him. So just bow your heads. And if you haven't, if you want that, if you believe in that, go ahead and raise your hand so that we can pray with you, that we can can walk with you. We want to disciple you. We want to equip you. We want to send you out. We need more people to be sent out into the darkness. We want to walk with you in that. Amen. Amen. For the rest of us, let's make this day, this, this year, this 2020, going into a new, new year, a new decade, let's make it something that we will remember that we are still poor and desperate and needy for God but that we have the empowerment to go into the dark places to share and proclaim the good news of hope to those who don't have it. This is our year, church. This is our decade. All God says is, go, I will be with you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for all that you have done today. Thank you for the the good news that you proclaim to the poor, to us, the needy, the desperate. It's a reality that we are. Lord, I pray you open our hearts so that we can, can understand just how loved we really are, how empowered we are. The power that rose You from the dead lives inside of us. And Lord, that we are fighters. We are not sideline sitters. We are fighters in your kingdom. 
We look for the darkness so that we can expose it with a great light. But let this be a year where we fight. We fight our battles together, locked arms, sharing burdens, walking together with you for the glory of your kingdom, to see the dead come to life, to reach the poor with the good news. So Lord, I pray that you will send people our way who are desperate and needy, who are so in need of you that just the very words that God loves them brings them to their knees. That they are so loved by you. Lord, send those people to us and give us the ability and the boldness to share with them the good news, to proclaim it, God, as you proclaimed it. Walking in your footsteps, enduring the things that you endured, persevering through the things that you persevered, struggling through the things that you struggle through, because we are conformed to your image. We are clothed in your righteousness. Lord, I pray you unleash a great power upon these people. Let it be proclaimed by the love of God for this valley, for their families, for the generations that have been destroyed. These people will go and restore and rebuild the ancient ruins that they will walk unified together in the vineyards and in the shepherd's flocks. Or that we will be a, a people of a unified front for the glory of you proclaiming the good news. Lord, I pray that you bless these people. Bless them and show them the divine favor of 2020. Lord, grow them in the favor of the Lord in their workplaces, in their families. Lord, let people scratch their head and wonder how in the world they are doing what they're doing. It's because your spirit rests upon them. The sovereign the spirit of the sovereign Lord rests upon them. And they are equipped to proclaim the good news. Thank you, Jesus. In your glorious name, amen.